Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday, and of course, that means it's time for this week's episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. And you are right. It is Necro Thursday, and it is time for the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, the greatest horror podcast in America. Uh, I am well. It is uh, 1,000 degrees in this early September uh, heat wave we're having here in New York and New Jersey. Uh, but I believe today, Thursday, is the, the last day for this. Uh, tomorrow, it's it's going down to like 80. Thank God. Yeah, it, it's been oppressive, man. Yeah, even uh, a summer lover like myself uh, thinks it's time for the temperatures to not be 95 degrees. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we record this, we're on the brink of a really uh, important weekend that's coming up, man. Mm, yes, we are. Yeah, it's the uh, Atlantic City weekend to see Danzig perform live, and that's yeah. Looking forward to this for a long time. It's going to be cool. Yeah, me too. Uh, got got my tickets as a as a birthday gift from our buddy Hank, uh, my bassist in Inhuman, and uh, yeah, Stella and I are going to ac tomorrow it's funny i, I danzig you know proper danzig solo hasn't hasn't played the area in a minute and I'm trying to think what when it was that he did i mean i know i was there um but he also hasn't done a tour where he skips new york in a while too he's skipping new york like the closest one is the uh, jersey show yeah there's something uh you know poignant about that i feel yes yes you know, I, I've, it's funny. I've seen the Misfits three times in the time I have not seen Danzig. So that's uh, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's something, man. So uh, yeah. yeah, this uh, this is my girlfriend's birthday weekend. So we're going down tomorrow, which is Friday, and mm -hmm. staying two nights at the Oceans Resort. So it's going to be a good time. Yeah, it's it's going to be a blast. A bunch of other people you know are going to be there, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not a huge Behemoth fan. Stella likes them more than I do, but I don't. I don't dislike Behemoth. I like Behemoth uh, up to the Satanist. I think hmm. there's like a couple of really, really solid records that that band put out, but um, uh, they lose me though recently. You know, I'm look, but I'm still. They always are great live though. That's the thing. Yeah, really they are. Uh, last yeah. time we saw them was with with Napalm Death. Uh, at Terminal Five a few years ago, and that that was cool. I mean, they put on a good show. Um, yeah, I think New Behemoth just bores me to death. Is yeah, what it is. It's just the... boring, meandering, you know. Um, and the earlier stuff has some of those real kind of you know banger, catchy riffs. And of course, there's Midnight, who who I love. They're always great. Um, Twin Temple, not not a fan. But we're gonna see how uh, how I how they fare in the live setting we'll see i'm not into i am um, i'm at this point i'm neutral but mm -hmm. my, my girlfriend loves them and uh yeah that, that's kind of she's kind of into that that kind of vibe you know what i mean this kind yeah. of sp spooky like you know doo-wop kind of th thing you know to me there's just something so corny and contrived about it but they are they are quite popular and i will give them a fair shot in the live setting, Michael. Well, yeah, that, that's what that's what you got to do. You know, you got to do it. You got to do it. But yeah, it's been it's been a pretty, you know, big 
September, actually, or it's going to be. Uh, there's a, a new Dying Fetus coming out. There's yep. a new Pro Fanatica coming out. Yes. There's a new Cannibal Corpse coming out. Oh, yeah. And there was most recently, uh, the other week, the new Incantation. And this is all in the span of the last, you know, it's going to be in the span of like four weeks. And the, so new, uh, the new Marduk dropped recently. Yes. Yes. I'm literally looking at it right now. Um, I, I, I'm getting CDs lately because I enjoy them. Um, and I'm looking at the new Marduk right now and the new Dying Fetus. And I, I pre-ordered the Cannibal uh and the pro fanatica uh the new Marduk might be the album of the year for me mike Dude, how about that i've been running it nonstop. and uh last night uh we had band practice and mm -hmm. um there's like uh like a maybe a 40 minute drive from keyport where we practice to elizabeth where uh, mm -hmm. my girlfriend lives and i did i listened to the Marduk record and i did that drive in 30 two minutes i was mm. i'm like listening to the record and i'm oh, like yeah. speeding up the garden state parkway and i look at the the speedometer and so i'm doing like my 90 miles an hour i'm like it just i was so <laughs> psyched and stoked to listen to it man yeah it's uh you know mortis the singer wrote the lion's share of this record which is which is interesting uh usually uh morgan the guitarist writes most of the music um but of course, you know, uh, Mortis Daniel has Funeral Mist, which is also, you know, bangers. Yeah. Uh, and this record kind of is very Funeral Misty, but not so much so that it's overtaking any of the Marduk, if that makes sense, right? It's kind of, it, it's got a very healthy amount of Funeral Misty vibes, but it's still Marduk, you know? Well, well having uh, Daniel right like a lot of the material I think was like an injection of uh, venom into the veins mm. of Marduk. You know, it's similar, <laughs> yeah. similar to the way when Rutan joined Cannibal, you know, it's like Rutan, I feel like is kind of put those guys on steroids or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, not that Marduk needed an injection because I actually loved Victoria, you know, I thought that was, like this very kind of like quick burst of just like anger, you know? Yeah. So all those songs were kind of shorter and the record was a little, little shorter. Uh, this one I think is a, a bit more intricate, you know, but it's got these weird moments, like the, the weird funeral mist moments, but they, they work really well here. And yeah, man, one of the greatest black metal bands of all time without totally. question Mark. absolutely and I, and I prefer the weird parts myself those are the ones yeah. that really sink sink in with me yeah yeah but uh yeah listeners that's that's the the, the musical uh, state of address but uh two things to promote number one uh my band confusion we're playing september 30th first show in 16 years uh at the brooklyn monarch with killing time and terror and a whole host of other bands should be a lot of fun. And uh, Mr. Hill has some tomb shows to announce. Yeah, it's our first show in 16 years. I mean, uh, <laughs> it feels like it, man. It's like 2022, we were we started off strong, and then there was a couple of mishaps with scheduling mm. at the end of the year, and it has plagued us into 2023. The only mm. show we played to date is at, down at the Hell in the Harbor thing. And mm. now we finally got some stuff to announce. So we're uh, we're doing a short run with our mutual friends, uh, All Out War, 
Uh, yep. Mike, I know you and Mike score go way back. Yeah, yeah. Along with uh, Funeral Leech from New York City. So it's like a tri-state area, uh, three-day run through, um, and that's starting on uh, October 13th in Phoenixville, PA, which is outside mm-hmm. of Philly at uh, the Polish Club. So a DIY style show. Nice. The 14th of October in Brooklyn at Gold Sounds, a venue that I have only been to once. And I know you guys mm-hmm. just played there. Yeah, it's a great place, man. And Human just played there for my uh, my birthday. Yeah. And then we shoot up to uh, Providence, Rhode Island, the uh, home of H.P. Lovecraft on uh, mm. October 15th to return to the club called Dusk, which is a spot that I really enjoy playing. Yeah, I heard that's a great club. They always have cool death metal and black metal shows there. So I, I imagine that that's a nice spot to play. And then on the 29th, it's like a sort of a Halloween show. We're playing at uh, the Amityville Music Hall out on Long Island with mm. um, our buddies Restless Spirit. It's the record release show for their new album, Afterlife, a, a nice. record in which I contribute some uh, some vocals on that record. Oh, very nice. I did not. Is that is that an exclusive? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's an exclusive, man. It's uh, very cool. I, I hope I didn't, uh, you know, jump the shark on that stuff. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> but uh, no, nah, the show's announced. Um, but yeah, so it's out there in the world. So that's all. That's all going on in the month of October. That's a cool club too. Played there many times uh, with the Last Stand and Inhuman. So yeah, man, enjoy. This will be Toombs' first Long Island appearance in our entire career. No. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. We've never played Long Island, ever. Wow. Oh, wait. That's... No, no. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm totally lying. We played Long Island with you and Black Anvil. Remember that? Yes. Holy <laughs> shit. I'm so full that of was, shit, man. <laughs> that, was, that was 10 years ago. I mean, no, that, or maybe 11 years ago. It was, yeah. It was like our, like, uh, I don't know, like ninth show or something like that, maybe. It was, man, well, I, I could find out the date, listeners. I don't want to bore everybody with, you know, digging through. But that was over 10 years ago, and it, it was a great show. I yeah. have pictures from it. Yes. Oh, nice. Great, great show. Great show. Actually, <laughs> dude, it has to be over 10 years um, yeah. for personal milestones that I'm not going to go into on this. But, yeah, it had yeah, to be over yeah. 10 years ago, definitely. Um, I know, like – yeah, the date escapes me. I'm usually extremely good with dates, but it was Mr. Beery's, and uh, it was a good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back to Long Island. Long Island's great. They got a lot of hardcore people, a lot of metal people, good people. It's the home of Ron Grimaldi. Yes, Ron Grimaldi is there. I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the the birth of the Crumb Suckers, one of the, the greatest uh, crossover bands ever. Yeah. But... Uh, Hopefully you've enjoyed the musical portion of Necromaniacs, <laughs> because this is what happens when you get two musicians on a horror podcast. Uh, but with that out of the way, it's time for the plugs, right, Mike? That's right. We kick off the week with Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. He's also a horror podcast, except that he is focused on interviewing filmmakers, actors, anyone involved in the horror scene. And occasionally, one of us uh, shows up on his show. That's right. One of us pops up. Uh, On Tuesday, we have the greatest metal podcast in the land, Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith. I am in the midst of the uh, nice long interview with the Incantation Fellas, Michael. I'm enjoying it. 
good new episode uh, with uh, Incantation. Uh, that comes to you every Tuesday into the Necrosphere. You better listen to that podcast. Uh, coming to you every Wednesday, it is Mr. Hill's own Everything Went Black podcast, a potpourri of uh, ideas and different topics and subjects. It could be a musician. It could be a, you know someone in, in MMA. It could be, uh, could be anyone. But, Actually, uh, this, yeah. uh, this past week's episode with John Padgett, uh, the author and publisher, narrator, hmm. and ventriloquist, actually. Ventriloquist. I mean, here you, there you go. I mean, how many podcasts do that? Uh, yes, coming to you every Wednesday, Mr. Hill's Everything Went Black. On Thursday, you're listening to it right now. It's the Necromaniacs podcast, the greatest horror podcast in North America. Uh, coming to you on Friday, we have... None other than the artist, <laughs> formerly known as Break the Apocalypse, now known as Spitball Media with Mr. John Draper, who happens to be my flesh and blood. John Draper is coming to the Confusion Show. How about that? He's, uh, he's crashing uh, for the weekend for the, uh, the Hardcore Fest, so that should be fun. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, on Saturday... You can chill. You can uh, enjoy what hopefully is the fall weather by the time you hear this and relax. Uh, but on Sunday, Soul Knox, Carl Hikara's podcast, another one that you should be hitting the subscribe button on. But wait, folks, there's more. There is another horseman to the apocalypse, right, Mr. Hill? Iblis Manifestations by Cheyenne of Trivax. Yes, that's a bit of a mouthful. Yes. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, welcome aboard, sir. Welcome to the family. Um, tonight, we have spent a lot of time in the 1970s, listeners. Well, let, let's do our voicemail first. Oh, I always, how do I always forget yeah. the fucking voicemail? Yeah. <laughs> we have a voicemail to play. Yeah, man. Um, so if you want to leave us a voice message, you can hit us on the Necrophone at 908 913 0782 and if you can recommend a movie to us or just uh you know just just drop us a, a line about pretty much anything and this week we have um a regular caller mike from pennsylvania mm. hey necro hoods it's mike from telford here it's uh friday night it's about 11 o'clock i'm up here in upstate new york in my family's garage on my grandparents' property here, having a beer and a cigar, listening to some Nurse with Wound. Just wanted to touch base with you guys. And, but, you know, I really enjoyed the uh, Let's Scare Jessica to Death episode. I can't take any credit for that. Mike Scandato brought that up. I just uh, seconded that emotion. Uh, so thanks for that one. That's a great movie. That's a, that's a favorite. I'm glad you guys dug it. And I uh, hope you have a good holiday weekend. And I haven't really watched much. Uh, I had a weekend alone, but I didn't do shit. And uh, I did watch Night Tide. That's a Curtis Harrington movie. He's a Thelemite. Uh, Dennis Hopper's, and I think that might be Dennis Hopper's first movie. It was it was cool. It had a really cool uh, Carnival of Souls type of atmosphere. And uh, there's a woman in that who was married to Jack Parsons when he blew himself up. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's it's worth seeing. It's uh, spooky. That's what I would say. 
It's kind of creepy and uh, spooky and uh, a little lynchian in spots, I guess. But I uh, hope you guys are doing good and look forward to this coming Thursday. And uh, take her easy, guys. Talk to you soon. Mike, have you seen Night Tide? No. I'm familiar with that title, but I've never seen it. It's a great one, man. It's uh, mm. black and white. It's got Dennis Hopper in it. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while. I believe it was mm. on Shudder for a minute. And um, mm-hmm. you should definitely watch it, man, because it has like this kind of uh, Carnival of Souls vibe like Mike, Mike mentioned. Okay. And, um, it also, I, I want to think it takes place in Coney Island, actually. Really? Okay, yeah. Got to see that then. Got to yeah. see it. Well, let's be honest, folks. Not a lot of movies take place in, 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 in Brooklyn, in my opinion. Not really. Uh, not a lot of horror movies. And certainly not a lot of horror, horror movies or movies take place in South Brooklyn, right? I mean, you know, uh, we need more. So, yeah, I would like to check this out. Coney Island is like the perfect setting for uh, stuff like this, I think. You know, a while back, I was reading, you know, that series of books called Brooklyn Noir? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what volume of it was because I believe there's a couple. I read a cool story that was taking place in Coney Island, and it had this somewhat horror bend to it. Uh, Some are older, some are new. And uh, it's now kind of making me have like a mental note to like, you know, grab all of those fuckers and and read all of them. (laughs) Yeah, I got I should check that out. I should check out more of those. I've actually um, I know the series. I just haven't actually read any of the books, believe it or not. Hmm. Yeah, they have cool covers with these interesting colors in them. And yeah, cool stuff. Um, I think it's uh, Akashic Books, uh, the New York based uh, company puts them out. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, we, uh, oh, just want to say, uh, listeners, if you, you want to call in, and you should, when you leave us recommendations, we uh, our ears perk up, you know? And quite honestly, we may cover a movie that you ask us to cover, right, Mike? That's right. And um, actually, Mike, 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 from Pennsylvania, actually, he may mm-hmm. beg to differ, but I'm going to credit <laughs> him with uh, us covering this um, movie because he brought it up, and uh, you and yeah, I have been kind of talking about it. But I'm going to give him credit for this. Absolutely, uh, it's funny. It's a movie that had been sitting in my pile for a long time, uh, but but I did not get around to watching it. What a surprise! Uh, DVD, it was a sealed DVD in my collection, Mr. Hill. Oh, wow. Uh, so I think I've had it for a minute. And that movie is called Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural from 1973. Uh, Synapse, good old Synapse, put out the DVD back in 2004. Uh, but as of now, there is no Blu-ray. It is only a DVD-only release. And then back in 2020, they said that they have no plans at all to put it out on Blu-ray, despite having a 4K scan of the film sitting in their, uh, you know, files, so to speak. So uh, if you want to own the movie, you can. Uh, I've seen it on eBay for very reasonable prices. Uh, You can grab it. Uh, Because unfortunately, the only other place to see it, as Mr. Hill learned, is on YouTube, right, Mike? That's correct. It's not on any 
of the streaming services that I can tell, and I looked for for it everywhere. So I had to go to yeah. YouTube. Luckily, it's there. Yes, and glad we were able to, to you know suss this one out because it is another really cool addition to our ongoing summer of the American nightmare, huh, Mister Hill? Yeah, I mean it's the same time frame as uh messiah of evil and like all those great films and um it yeah. fits uh nicely like very very uh nihilistic in a lot of ways um yes very dark there's like a creepy vibe to this whole movie in a different way than some of the others which we'll get into and it's a vampire film where once again the vampires are a little little different huh yeah, and I think I mentioned this to you in um, the text, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Robert E. Howard, not just the Conan yeah. stuff, but also mm -hmm. his uh, horror characters that he has. And the vampires in this movie remind me somewhat of the vampires that are in some of the you know Solomon Kane stories. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know to get a little bit ahead of ourselves, there are kind of two vampires, two types of vampires in this movie. Uh, one are the more traditional looking ones, you could say, uh, mainly being the, 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 the title of the film was Lamora and Lamora is the more traditional female vampire, very pale and pretty and vampiric looking. And then there's a whole other subsect of vampire in this movie that is very kind of like savage looking, uh, Almost werewolfy looking vampires, right, Mike? Yeah, they should do more with that idea. You know, and that's what I mean. It reminds me of like these kind of Robert E. Howard like horror stories. Where there, a lot of times you'll find situations like that. You know. Hmm. Yeah, like you know, the ones like Lamora are kind of like humanish, human looking. You know, but then the others are more kind of mutated, feral, monstrous. You know, again, I, I almost got like werewolf vibes, but they're not werewolves. They're they're vampires. So. I thought that was actually a pretty cool idea. Yeah. You know? So it was uh, written and directed by Richard Blackburn, who also mm -hmm. has a part in the movie. The movie is 80 minutes long on the short side, I think. Yes. Uh, released April 30th, 1973 in California. Uh, limited release. And then it got like a full release later in the year, December 18th, 1974. Uh Wikipedia credits two different years. Uh, running down that cast, we have the you know the, the director and writer Richard Blackburn as the Reverend uh, Cheryl Smith as Lila Lee, uh, William Witten as Alvin Lee. Uh, some smaller roles: Steve Johnson as the Ticket Man, High Pike as the Bus Driver, who Mister Hill pointed out before we got rolling bears a resemblance to someone, huh? Yeah, it looks like Tom Towles. <laughs> yes, he, yes, he does look like Tom Towns. Yeah, yes. who, you know, obviously he played uh, Otis in uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, as well mm -hmm. as a small role in um, God's Lonely Man. Yes, another uh, fucked up one that we covered this year that was probably one of my, my movies of the year that wasn't of the year. Um, <laughs> we have uh, Leslie Taplin, billed in this film as Leslie Glibb as Lamora uh, of the title, uh, Maxine Ballantyne as the witch Solange, and Parker West 
plays a young man and not a huge cast in this movie. Uh, definitely more low budget than Messiah of Evil and Let's Scare Jessica to Death, though, huh? Yeah, this is uh, almost like uh, like an art film or something like that. You know what I mean? It has yeah. like a very low budget, sort of along the lines of um, children shouldn't play with dead things. Yes, that's what it reminds me of. I couldn't think, I was like, uh, for some reason, I, I, the name was escaping me. And I'm like, yeah, it, it's probably potentially cost even less to make than that. Uh, as you'll notice, if you're watching the movie listeners, like when they're in the town and they have these signs that literally just look like someone took a black marker and put it on some cardboard. Like, did you notice that about bus stop and things like that? And like, it just seemed very, uh, very inexpensive. No, but it also lent, lent it this sense of, um, like a dreamlike quality, you know? Hmm. I mean, Interesting. no, it did. Yeah. You, I, you I, can yeah. go like one or two ways with it. You can look at the movie and be like, all right, it's a cheapo film. They have no money. Or in some, in some cases, like when you see dreams being portrayed, you know, they'll, there'll be some bizarre things like that in the dream. And that's, that's how I chose to run with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I could see that. Definitely has some dreamy qualities for, for a low budget movie. Definitely. Uh, a little bit, a little bit more from of the backstory. Sorry, uh, it was conceived by Blackburn, uh, a former University of California film student. Definitely has some film student vibes to it. Uh, it was shot on location in Pomona, California, and the surrounding areas. Uh, it had a premiere at Scripps College in April of '73, and it was actually then sold to Media Cinema Group who uh, went on to cut the movie by 40 minutes and release it theatrically in 1974. Uh, but I believe the version me and Mr. Hill saw was the uncut version. Uh, Synapse uh, advertised it as the full uncut version. And uh, if it was 80 minutes or so uh, on YouTube, then we, you know, you and I both saw the, the real deal. Uh, the film was, of course, heavily criticized by the Catholic Legion of Decency, who deemed the film as anti-Catholic, which, well, I could see. No, Mr. Hill? Oh, definitely. Uh, but the one thing to keep in mind is that the reverend is not a Catholic priest. He's some sort of Protestant, like, uh, you know, clergyman, yeah. you know? Um, which might have gone over the heads of the Catholic people, the Catholic League a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, because ultimately, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, no, he's not a priest. It's he's a, a reverend. It's a yeah. reverend, and no one is called reverend in the Catholic faith. Number nope. one, not Hell really. No, uh, it's more of a Protestant thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I could see religious people of the day in the '70s obviously having a problem with it. Uh, every one of the movie is is lecherous and uh, unfortunately trying to, you know have relations with a 13, 14 year old girl, uh, listeners, uh, thankfully, uh, actress Cheryl Smith was 18 at the time of filming, but, uh, she was playing a, a much younger, uh, aged role. Huh? I, I would say that in addition to it being anti-religion, it's, uh, also shining a light onto just the, the treachery and lecherousness of men. Yes. And, child abuse and oh, yeah. 
the abuse, uh, you know, a, a young girl could potentially go through. Uh, this is during the Prohibition era. It does not take place in 1973, 74. Uh, it takes place during the, the, the 30s or whatever. I forget what Prohibition was. Uh, late 20s, early 30s. Um, which I could imagine was probably not the best time for women, period, right? Um, but yeah, it does kind of shine a light on just like, you know, abuse in a way, right? Well, every male character in this movie was basically trying to uh, sexually assault Lila, <laughs> you know, pretty yeah. much from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and there's also, um, they kind of like hint that her dad uh, touched her too, you know? Yeah, it's wild. And and then uh, Lamora herself, uh, who, who you think is, you know, semi-decent for a vampire. No, she's, she's, uh, she kind of makes a little bit of the moves on, on uh, Lila as well, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and let's keep in mind that uh, Lila is supposed to be 14 years old. So it's mm. definitely inappropriate, you know? Oh, yes, totally, totally. Um, which kind of makes you wonder what exactly Blackburn was going for here. Uh, look, ultimately, it's 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 almost got like a dark, grim fairy tale vibe to it. No, like yeah. it's got like a dark, dreamy fairy tale vibe to it with a very, very dark undertone. Yeah, is that and fair? That that's uh, exactly how I would see it too. Because there is the sense of like. You know, like almost like a Little Red Riding Hood kind of thing, where um, you know Lila is out into in the in the great big world looking for a mm -hmm. father, you know, who's like a criminal, you know, right? And um, ends up at in this very the town of Astaroth, which is where these um, vampires live, you know. But mm -hmm. it, it's almost like that town. It almost has like the vibe of like Dunwich or something from like a Lovecraft yeah, story. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely soft H.P. Lovecraft vibes, or maybe even not that soft going on here. Yeah, because yeah, like there's a scene where she takes a bus, you know, and and it's it reminds me of that scene in the in um or Shadow over Innsmouth rather, where they take a bus out to this peninsula where Innsmouth is located and. Cause he's on this and that bus trip that was creepy man that's where we the tom towels uh look-alike guy even mm. even he's like threatening to uh lila too you know yeah like <laughs> as you're watching it listeners just when you think like maybe one dude is gonna be okay that doesn't really happen uh everyone's not okay uh to this girl and it kind of sucks um now, uh, interestingly enough, uh, director Richard Blackburn was inspired mainly by the 1970 film Count Yorga Vampire, which is another California set vampire film from the early 70s, and an excellent film. You view, uh, you fuck with the Count Yorga oh, Vampire? Yeah. That, that's, that's something that I watched way back. It was probably mm -hmm. on like Chiller Theater or something like that back in the day. Yeah. Uh, we should uh, think about covering that. It even has a, a pretty cool sequel. Uh, so yeah. I, I like that movie. Uh, it's Now, this movie is not as slick as that, obviously, and not as produced and not as well acted as that. But I, I could see how 
you know, Blackburn was inspired by it for sure. But uh, he definitely takes some chances here and puts his own stamp on things. And, well, let's say, you know, pushes the envelope with the overall plot and characterizations in this movie. Um, it's not cookie cutter. And I, there's even a chance some listeners will potentially earn this movie off after like a half hour. And look, it's not that graphic, right? It's not a graphic film. But it's a lot of uncomfortable uh, moments, right? Yeah, it's heavy on atmosphere, and there's a lot of like rapiness in it, which is, uh, you know, mm. child abuse style stuff. And I mean, even the guy who sells her the ticket to get on the bus. Yes. I mean, he's literally offering a candy to a little girl. Mm. You know, and and you know that stuff was like laced with goofballs or something you know what i mean like yeah, she was God gonna, knows what. yeah who knows what was in it you know luckily she sidesteps that yeah but uh i have to say uh cheryl smith did a, did a wonderful job in this movie and uh doing my my necromaniacs research um she uh actually went by uh another name later on in her career as a uh, rainbow smith uh, she starred in a whole host of exploitation and horror films after this, uh, including uh, Caged Heat in 1974, uh, The Swinging Cheerleaders in 1974, Phantom of the Paradise uh, from also 1974, Busy Year, Pom Com Girls, Revenge of the Cheerleaders, Massacre at Central High, which is a movie I've always wanted to see. I've never actually seen that movie from uh, 1976. Uh, she had small roles in Logan's Run, a uh, bunch of stuff well through the 70s into the 80s. A small role in Necromaniac's favorite, Vice Squad. Uh, you know, but perhaps one of the most interesting things is her musical career. Uh, she is on Joan Jett's uh, smash hit Bad Reputation doing background vocals credited as Rainbow Smith on that song. And also, interestingly enough, uh, another Necromaniac's favorite film, Cruising, she is on the soundtrack. Uh, the song, When I Close My Eyes, I See Blood by Madeline Von Ritz. That is her on drums. Uh, sadly, Miss Smith passed uh, away at age 47 on October 25th, 2002. Uh, man, I bet she has some stories, huh? Yeah, I didn't know that she was in The Runaways, man. That's kind of... Yes, sick, she's sick. also in the Runaways for a spell. Uh huh. Uh, towards the end of the Runaways, how about that? Uh, that's how she hooked up with Joan Jett. Interesting, huh? Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate that she uh, passed at a young age. Mm -hmm. uh, another small role in Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams. I mean, cool career, you know. Uh, and like I said, yeah, she does a great job in this movie. She's only about eighteen, and it's one of her earliest roles at the time. Um, if you, of course, have not listened to our Vice Squad and Cruising episodes, listeners, you are missing out. Go back, find those episodes, and give them a listen. See, Mike, that's called uh, synergy. I just synergy. did synergy. You know, we'll cross connect. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Um, now, I guess it's important that we talk about like the overall, you know plot and crux of the movie like i said it is set during the prohibition era um she gets a letter lila 
to visit her injured father, who is a gangster, before he dies. Um, she's currently staying with the Reverend, who's definitely a little creepy in the, you know, in this church setting. Uh, the Reverend has kind of raised her, um, and she's well known uh, in the church as this excellent singer. And of course, she's very pretty, so she kind of stands out and gets a lot of attention. Uh, but she runs away uh, to, to find her dad, so to speak, in this strange town as of Astaroth. Uh And thus, uh, the fun ensues. And, you know, like Mike said, every man she meets along the way to Astaroth is a creep. From the, the, the bus station ticket salesman to the bus driver to the people in the street. There's that scene where the guy's beating his wife or girlfriend and he stops beating on his wife and girlfriend to hit on her, basically. Yeah. It's like no matter where she is, dudes are just being sketchy. You know, that that's pretty much like the the vibe of the world that Lila finds herself in. You know But you know I, what though? I, yeah, I would say that about it. I would hmm. say that the Reverend is is obsessed with her, really. Used to, right, right from the yeah. beginning, you see, he wants to. He just, he's looking at her like he wants to devour her. You know. Yeah, it's pretty bad, as they say. Um, but you know what, though, uh, while I was momentarily, you know, a moment ago, questioning the the motive of the film by Mister Blackburn, I'm I'm kind of seeing that this was his motive. Maybe he was he wanted to show how shitty society treats a young pretty girl do you think that's what he's trying to show yeah that's like, probably it yeah definitely i mean it was like yeah i i think that uh that's that's on point that analysis yeah. yeah and look is it a bit exploitative well sure it's you know 1973 uh, and it's an independent film uh, 9.9 .9 films out of 10 were exploitative uh, at this time period but I think the overall motives might not have been so sinister. I think he wanted to paint a picture of what the Prohibition era might have been like for a young pretty girl. And on top of it, inject the, a world of vampires and horror and, you know, weirdness. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about what a vampire is, really, it's like sucking the life, life blood out of a person, you know, predatory... Yeah you know, overall predatory, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's definitely exploitative, but this is the 70s. People got wild back mm -hmm. then, you know? People, <laughs> yes, they were, wild, I mean, they were look, wilding out in the 70s. They were wilding out. Even mainstream movies, Taxi Driver. That was yeah. a mainstream film. That's pretty fucked up, uh, you know? Uh, Cruising is 1980, but that was a major studio film. You know what I'm saying? It's just it just kind of how things work, you know. And I think it was like that into the very early 80s, and then up to a certain point, it kind of stopped being like that. Like Vice Squad is an example of kind of like the end of that era in a way, right? Yeah, and and that movie goes hard, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, this era goes out with a bang. Let's just say, you know, it doesn't really go out softly. But it, it does kind of stop like the, these really kind of hard edged, you know, dark, fucked up movies definitely only get made up until a certain time. But they they began, I would say, late, late 60s through the 70s up until maybe about 84 or so, 83, 84. And then I think, you know, 
honestly, a lot of movies in general start to, to suck, in my opinion. But, you know, uh, a, a lot of gems can be found in that time period. And, of course, once again, it, it brings it back to this, you know, outside of the major studios, American Nightmare uh, genre of, of all the people making independent films across America in that time. Um, let's talk a little more about Lamora herself. Uh, you know, the, the vampire who gets the title. Although, it's it's funny how they went with that as the title. Um, because while Lamora is is a, a, a main character, it's, it's I almost feel like it's Lila's movie, right, though? I mean, it's it's really her film. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the first... Uh, I'd never seen this film before we talked about mm, it, right. you know? And mm -hmm. I was aware of it. And I just assumed that once I saw the young girl on screen that she was going to be Lamora. But you know, yes. I, mm -hmm. I was wrong, wrong about that, that. Right. She is Lila. Lamora is the seductive uh, vampire, so to speak, uh, who owns the house and has kind of summoned Lila, which in, in itself is kind of interesting. I mean, I guess it was kind of, you know, predestined for, for Lila to find Lamora or vice versa, right? Uh, tying in like the, 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 the mafia father. And I don't know, that was the one kind of thing. I don't know if I was too into that kind of plot line, you know, the gangster uh, thing. What, what did you think of that? Um, I mean, I like that. This, this is what I liked about the dad. They, well, they definitely did not need him. Well, they needed a motivation like a subconscious hmm. thing for her to come out there, like a reason for her to, to look for some, something. But right. the reality is that out there in the, uh, the netherworld, Lamora was like summoning her. But in the material hmm. world, they needed this element like her father to bring her forth, you know? Yeah, I get it. And again, it adds to that kind of dark fairy tale vibe. Because when... Uh, she gets to Lamora, and one of the first people she meets is Solange, who is this witch who lives with Lamora, who is straight out of like a Disney film in a, in some way, like a Disney witch, like a like a old school kind of cartoony witch. Only it's it's not a cartoon; it's a real person, right? Yeah, she's like this kind of Grimm's like fairy tale, you know, kind of vibe to her. Yeah, yeah. I, th I thought that was an interesting scene where she's like singing to her. And it was just really kind of creepy and telling her that one day she'll look like her and she's pretty now, but she won't always be and this and that. And it was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> um, again, adding to that kind of fairy tale vibe. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of first they, they don't bring her to the house right away. They kind of like imprison her in this kind of like cottage outside the, the house. Right. Yeah. Um which I thought was kind of interesting, you know? I, I, I guess it was kind of like to either scare her or kind of test her out or, or, or whatnot before she goes into the house and sees what the hell's going on in there. Uh, but of course, when she does get to the house, she finds all these kind of children that are inside the house who are very pale and sickly and, again, creep vibes. Would, yeah. would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... Um... You, you just get this feeling of being in danger, like at every turn in this film. Hmm. Uh, agree. Um, now, 
it, it not it, it doesn't kind of go into like a typical vampire film at this point. I would say, look, she does, of course, figure out what a surprise that Lamora is drinking the blood of these children, and and she witnesses a few things that she shouldn't have witnessed, and that you know Solange isn't this great person. I'm not Solange. Uh, Lamora isn't this great woman that's come to save her. Uh, the uh, the the scene where she has Lila uh, bathe in front of her, which uncomfortable. you know, yes, very, <laughs> very uncomfortable, possibly yeah. more uncomfortable than any of the scenes with the men. How about that? Yeah. Um, because you, you kind of thought that Lamora was going to take her away from all like the the sketch dudes and maybe not be like that, but no, unfortunately, she herself is uh, you know fucked up. Um, now it's interesting. Like, I, I wonder what else they kind of wanted to show there. I mean, again, you know, it, it's the seventies and, and the actress was of legal age at the time. But if, if you're portraying a 14 year old, I mean, they didn't really show really anything in that scene, but all the implied stuff and just the kind of camera angles and the touching of her shoulder was, was enough. Right. Gaspar No should remake this movie. Oh my god, forget it. <laughs> that um, would be like one of the most like fucked up movies ever, I think. Like honestly, this this a lot of these movies from the American Nightmare, a lot of these classic 70s movies, I think would fare very well with you know, serious remakes. You know what I'm saying? That don't do a lot to the plot. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying shot for shot remakes, but like taking the meat of it, you know, and, uh, you know, exposing it to the modern world because look, there's a lot of people that will never find this movie. Mike, would you, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, any of these like American nightmare films, like you were saying, I would love to see some of those like French extremity people, some of those filmmakers, you know, like Claire Denis or Gaspar No or, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Pascal Logier or one of those people yep. where you make them, you know. Totally. Or or even, you know, an an, an upstart American who's who's done their homework and loves this kind of shit. I mean, look, um I know you're not the biggest Eli Roth guy, but I imagine Eli Roth is aware of all these movies and is a fan of all these movies. Uh He's he's finally got Thanksgiving coming out. The, uh, the the first trailer for that went out, and uh, uh, I am excited for that. It's a bit of an aside. I think Eli Roth, the guy, is probably cool as hell. Like I would love to, mm -hmm. you know, hang out with him. I just don't really like his movies. Mm. Um, but someone like him, um, if of course, if not him, not not for you at least. Uh, I think would handle something like this really well. Hell, even even a Rob Zombie, again, who is probably well-versed in a lot of these movies, if not all of them, may have an interesting take on them. But I think, I think his remake days are, I don't know if he wants to do more remakes, you know, um, but it would be interesting. I mean, this, you know, people who, who have to love 70s cinema, uh, obscure 70s horror cinema, uh, would be the only people to touch these movies for me, you know? Yeah, Bob Zombie's got to, um, I don't know, I think he's got to tame his ego a little bit and mm. get out of the, uh, you know, kind of low-life uh, American experience, <laughs> you know? 
and maybe just direct and not write. Yes, yeah, there's that. Like if if someone that. else scripted the film and he just directed it, I think that might be cool because I do like the way his films like look and his yeah. directing is really solid. I think. Mm. But I, I think him him having to write everything might be a control issue. You know what I'm saying, right? Should, uh, uh, it's, uh, look, a lot of writers that. are like a lot of directors. I feel like are like that. You know, yeah. not all, but a lot. Um, it's their script and their movie and yada yada. I bet there's a lot of that going on. But uh, yeah, that was to the side. Um, we find out that uh, uh, Lila's dad is in fact at the house, but he's one of the more fucked up, uh, you know, savage vampires, right? Yeah, and they don't really explain what goes on, but you kind of get the um, the impression that if you're kind of like a like a low character person, mm-hmm. you turn into one of these brutal vampires. Yes, yes, and if you're a bit more. Uh, uh, of the aristotic uh, class, aristocratic, uh, you know, uh, if I'm mispronouncing that, of course, uh, you get to look like the more sleeker vampire, the more traditional vampire, right? Yeah, exactly. Of the aristocracy, perhaps, yes. Like, uh, because, you know, you and I would be the, the the more brutal ones, and Jeff would probably be the, you know, the, the more together <laughs> vampires. You know? Yes, yes. That fancy schmancy boy, Jeff. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I think you're right, Mike. That's a good take. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was very funny. Hello, Jeff. All my love, Jeff. All my love. Um, now, the movie kind of culminates in like this battle royale, so to speak, between the the more traditional vampires and and the, the you know the sketchy, wolfy, beastie vampires uh, that goes on in the town, right? Um, you know, it leaves a, a lot of them kind of dead. Uh, and poor Lila has to kill her own father, who has become, like we said, one of the more fucked up vampires. Maybe not fully explained, but it is what it is. Um, you know, she's crying over her dad's corpse. And uh, Lamora, you know, appears uh, to offer her some comfort. But of course, what Lamora does is turn our uh, hero, so to speak, uh, into a vampire. Uh, the Reverend has made it to his way uh, into Astaroth. You know, he's lo- he's looking for his gal. He's looking for Lila, right? Um, and uh, he-, he finds her. And we get a very uncomfortable scene yet again where she starts kissing him. Now, again, before this... We don't know what they've kind of done. Like, I mean, look, I guess you've kind of figured out that the Reverend might have been molesting her on the side, right? I mean, it's kind of pretty much implied, you know, but there's, there's, you know, we didn't see any of that, really. At um, the very least, the Reverend is obsessed with her. You know? He's obsessed with her, right, exactly. Or maybe he hasn't really done anything with her or has always wanted to. Who the fuck knows? Whatever it is, it's pretty in- indecent. Um... And sure enough, she, you know, digs her fangs into his throat and drains his blood uh, while the camera pans up over a smiling Lamora, who is, of course, thrilled that her Lila is now one of her and, you know, goes on with the killing. Um, And and the movie kind of closes with Lila singing in the church uh, congregation, which I kind of took as a flashback ending. Uh, I don't think that was... 
I don't think that was, I, you know, I think she's now a vampire and she's, you know, staying with Lamora. I thought that that ending was just kind of this cool flashback to when she was an innocent child. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. Because didn't she have a cross around her neck too at the end? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. I mean, it was, again, it's one of those kind of interesting '70s endings where, it, you know, it kind of freezes on a frame and and there's creepy music and the credits come up. One of the best things about the '70s, of course, was the ending of the movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, a lot to unpack in some ways uh, when it comes to, I think, perhaps child abuse or maybe the church or, you know, the, the role of, of, of men, you know, uh, leching over very young women, right? There's kind of a lot of that going on, right? Yeah, I, th I think that, um, you know, it's more about child abuse and that kind of thing than anti-religion, really. I mean, because they don't really yeah. talk about the, you know, God being dead or any of that kind of stuff, you know? Now, of course, when it came out, it was panned. Leonard Malton, that son of a bitch, gave it one of his lowest ratings, called it a bomb, awful low budgeter. Elvis Mitchell from the New York Times uh, wasn't really a fan. Uh, Lamar wants to surpass the expansions on vampire film mythology uh, that propelled the fecund, tightly wound horror movies from Hammer. The film falls short of its goals, but it is a classic of sorts. Uh, then you flash forward into the modern day where it's looked upon favorably or a bit mixed. Uh, Barry Meyer of Film Monthly called it a real creeper. What makes this film work so well is that writer-director Richard Blackburn understands how to shock people without exploiting the gimmick gimmickry of the genre like so many other films of that era were willing to do. Um, some have called it a cross between Bava and Bunnell. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Maitland McDonough, who wrote a great book about Dario Argento, by the way, called Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds. Uh, check that book out. Called it an arthouse vampire film with lesbian undertones. Richard Blackburn's debut film puts an ambitious and surprisingly effective spin on traditional vampire movie cliches. Um, yeah. Is this movie for everybody? No. Well, all of our listeners love it. No. Uh, but I think the listeners who have enjoyed our uh, run of American Nightmare films will definitely enjoy this film. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, definitely not for everyone. But I can tell you what, it's definitely for me, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. I enjoyed it. Uh, glad I finally saw it. Um, you know, sad ending to uh, actress Cheryl Smith's life, unfortunately. I'd love to kind of dig in to see if there's any, you know, interview footage of her or a little more about this film. The the DVD is fairly bare bones, doesn't come with too much, honestly, uh, because it's from 2004 uh, and she had already passed back in 2002. But I would definitely like to know a little more about it and a little more about her career. Uh, she's in some some great exploitation movies, many of which I've always actually wanted to see. And, and now I'll definitely check out. Uh, out of our Necromaniac score of one to five, I give this a very solid four. I'm in line with you once again, Mike. I give it a four. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely a good movie. Good 70s horror film. Uh, good fall movie, you know. Uh, uh, a lot of these movies are definitely 
cool to kind of watch, I think, uh, as the weather uh, transfers from the heat into the cooler climate. Um, yeah, I mean, looking forward to checking out more kind of 70s, 80s gems that I've missed. Uh, however, I did check out last week's episode, Mike, uh, where yeah. you and Jeff talked about a new film, Influencer, and now I want to watch that. Um, definitely recommend it, man. I mean, uh, I got to be honest, um, Brandon definitely was uh, instrumentally instrumental in me mm -hmm. checking it out because he was uh, telling me it was worthwhile. Very cool. Um, yeah, and I think there was something else that I saw that looked kind of interesting that I, I wanted to check out on Shutter, but I think uh, Influencer might go to the, the, the top of the pile. Um, I had a question for you. Is there anything series-wise that I should be watching that I have not been watching? Because I, I feel like I am very behind series-wise for horror, sci-fi, etc. Series, you know, I've been going back with that. Mm. I've been um, mm -hmm. I, w I just recently went back with uh with Hannibal. Okay, yeah, yeah, I I should do that too. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. but uh, as far as new, um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. You know, um, you know, there there's uh, stuff that I hear of that's good that I might want to check out, but uh, right. Nothing that I've currently been watching. Yeah, same here. Uh, listeners, if you think there's something interesting on any of the streamers, uh, series-wise, not movie-wise, that we should check out, uh, shoot us a message. Uh, always interested in hearing recommendations. Uh, as you can see, we've been on a bit of a, a 70s tear here at the Necro uh, camp. Um, but, of course, we've got some newer shit that we're going to talk about. Uh, one thing I noticed, though... I feel like the latter half of the year, film-wise, has a lot of what I would call adult fare, and I don't mean triple X. Um, it kind of has started with Oppenheimer, which is literally turning into one of the biggest R-rated films ever, apparently, like money-wise. Uh, I have not seen Oppenheimer yet, but I really want to see it. But uh, coming down the pike, as far as, again, serious adult films... We have uh, Killers of the Flower Moon from Scorsese, which is coming this year in October. We have uh, The Killer with uh, Fassbender in it, which looks really cool. Um, then there is uh, Ferrari coming out with uh, Adam Driver, which okay. also looks really cool. Uh, these are all dramas. These are all adult dramas. Uh, and then a little later, there's the Napoleon film. So, again, none of these are comic movies. None of these are remakes. Um, do you think we may actually have something for people our age to see in the theater? I certainly hope so, man. I, um, as much as I love comics, I do mm -hmm. not. I've fallen out of love with comic book uh, movies. Yes. Uh, punched out a while ago. Uh, I did see Flash, and I enjoyed it because I'm, I'm a DC mark. Uh, but DC does not churn out the, the crap that Marvel turns out movie-wise and in the, the numbers that Marvel does. I, I think my last Marvel movie was that last Avengers movie, which I enjoyed. And I actually felt, personally, was a good cap on things for Marvel and me. You know? Uh, I thought it was a good ending place. Now, everyone tells me how great Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is. 
I have not seen part two. I did enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy part one, so maybe I will see Guardians two and three. Uh, I enjoyed that Guardians Christmas special last year, which was fun, but that's not a Marvel movie. Uh, I am largely over superhero movies. Um, Am I looking forward to when Superman, you know, when DC kind of does their do-over and gets that going? Yes, because I'm a DC person. But largely, I I just I just don't really care anymore. You know, uh, I am interested in seeing all the movies I just mentioned. Though. Yeah, I I have to. I mean, Oppenheimer. That's like a three-hour movie, man. I gotta, yeah, I gotta yeah. cut out like a nice chunk of my day for that. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the 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 box office for it has been astounding. You know, like. It, it almost eight hundred million dollars worldwide, or something like that. Like, Jesus, you know. That's awesome, though. I'm glad. I'm happy. Something with some brains is like doing well. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest movies of the year. I mean, I didn't think that was gonna fucking happen, you know. And and hell, okay, yeah, worldwide, U.S., you know, and outside U.S., eight hundred and fifty-four million. Never thought that was gonna happen. Uh, look, and you're also talking to somebody who thought Barbie would make, you know, $200 million. And boy, was I wrong about that. So, yeah. Don't uh, forget, there's also The Exorcist is getting ready to drop, too. <laughs> yes. Well, look, I am actually very much looking forward to that. I was watching this weird Exorcist promo thing they had on the Roku channel. It was, like, about the, the early Exorcist and Linda Blair and... I'm kind of into all things exorcist, so yes, I I will see that, and we are going to have our our you know, uh, three way episode for that puppy uh, a little later this year, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, didn't get around to seeing the Meg two, uh, although I enjoyed the original Meg. Uh, I don't know, it kind of takes a lot for me to go to the movie theater, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean Jeff uh, caught the Meg. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he yeah, likes he said movies. it was not right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ben Wheatley directed it. Yeah, like, and you would have, like, you guys were saying last episode, you would have thought that there might have been a little bit of his stamp on it, but apparently there is none of his stamp on it. Yeah, you know, it's I don't, I don't know. That's a bummer. I'd like to see him do a a cool like folk horror movie or something like that. Yeah, but I guess you know, the the bigger the studio, the bigger the franchise, the the less like the less of your little stamp you can put on it. I guess you got to do with the powers that be, you know, yeah. and the people putting the money in your pocket want you to do such yeah. as life. It's his day job. You know, exactly. Exactly. Now he can do something wild and crazy again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that's, that's the state of things here at the Necro camp listeners. We hope you, uh, enjoy this episode. Hell yeah, man. And we'll, uh, talk to you guys next week and I'll see you this weekend, Mike. Yes, hell yes. Take care, everybody.
Are you, um, have you seen Night Tide? Night, Jesus Christ, man. What the fuck is wrong with me tonight? 